Hello, this is Tawanda here. Welcome to this episode of the Becoming a Willing Student podcast. And my guest today is Simon T, who is the founder and chief inspiration officer of Elevate Your Greatness. How are you doing, Simon? Great, Tawanda. How are you? I'm doing amazing. Thank you so much for joining me uh, this morning. So as I always do with all my guests, I'm going to read your bio. And uh, once I read your bio, then we get into the conversation and see where we go. Sounds good. Wonderful. So Simon T is a premier speaker on resilience, inspiration, and innovation. As a presenter, Simon has the rare ability to energize audiences while delivering personal, professional, and business growth insights. Founder and Chief Inspiration Officer at Elevate Your Greatness, Simon focuses his energy on helping others find and ignite their passion to achieve their greatness. Simon has facilitated hundreds of sessions and sparked energetic conversations about innovation and business transformation. An international keynote speaker, Simon has addressed over 50,000 people at conferences, training seminars, and workshops. A storyteller, strategist, and business coach, Simon has led and consulted on change efforts in the public, not-for-profit, and private sectors. Global in viewpoint, but local in impact. I love that, by the way. (laughs) He has been an executive consultant and speaker in Africa, the Middle East, Europe, and North America. Simon has also worked as a journalist and international spokesperson for major humanitarian organizations in conflict zones. That's a very impressive bio, sir. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate the way you delivered it. Awesome. Uh, so my next question was going to be asking you to tell me more about, about you. Uh, and we just read a little bit, but I always find that it helps when people actually uh, uh, share more about uh, who they are themselves. And really, specifically for you, who is Simon T and what inspired Elevate Your Greatness? Hmm. I think the best way to answer that is, and by the way, thank you for that intro. is very flattering. Um, the best way to understand that is really about my passion. I love to help others find their route to greatness. And what I've learned from my career working in different sectors is that often, you know, the professional environment is a lot about that kind of professional stoicism. And it really is about people trying to, you know, they are a square peg desperately trying to fit into a round hole. And so what I find is that, and what I experienced was really, how do you inspire people to do something exceptional and ignite their creativity beyond themselves? People tend to define themselves at work or in their private lives and really inspiring them to bring everything to their work and unleash their passions. Because when you unleash your passions, you discover your unique abilities and your unique greatness. And so over years, and there were many false starts, um, I grew as a speaker, but also as a coach and a facilitator, helping organizations unlock that 2%, which truly will make them exceptional. Because often it's when you think about your customers, but also other people, is that 2% that makes you different. And the 2%, which is the magic, that actually makes you something great. And that's what I, I try and do with my work, is try and find that 2% in people and in organizations and businesses. 
Wonderful. That's interesting. So when you talk, when you talk about that 2%, how, how is the response from, from some of the organizations? Because I like what you talk about that sometimes we tend to define ourselves. And I've seen people do this either work or, 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 or personal lives and we separate this, right? And we're not really able to really fully express ourselves. And so that's why, like you say, it's the 2% that, 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 that matters the most. What's been the response to that message when you speak to individuals and organizations? I think for, you can often see it in people's body language. Um, often people hold back because they think it's not the done thing, they're not, not the appropriate thing. But when you actually talk about what are your passion, what inspires you, you see their eyes awaken and you know just come alive. And you realize that many times you're meeting people who have been in some ways ground down by the business world, ground down by their profession, and being forced to fit into very narrow boxes when actually they have so much more to give. And so if you can unlock some of that passion, unlock that inspiration and motivation, then actually they, they realize that they can be a leader, a greater leader, a better leader. I think the 2% is that understanding is what is unique about you. And I've spoken to like, you know, graduate classes where everybody basically has the same qualifications, let's say. They have the same degrees and all this kind of stuff. Well, that's great, but what is unique about you? And it's that uniqueness, which is what actually is your story of who you are, but also a story of what you can be, because you can rewrite that story, that narrative of who you are, and create something that is actually means, you know, it's almost like the clothes fit you now. So often when I speak to people, you realize that they're at an impasse in their life. You know, they thought, you know, that a, per, a person in their 20s and their 30s and their 40s and their 50s may be very different people. And we grow and mature. We also learn on that journey. And your aspirations at 25 might not be your aspirations at 35. And often it's actually going back and saying, what did you really find inspirational and passionate about when you were a child or a teenager? How can you bring that spice, that magic back into your life now and unlock immense value, immense potential? Because if you love it and you're inspired by it, other people find that magnetism electrifying. Wonderful. I love how you say that. I love how you say that because you just gave an example that I usually give when I talk to some of my students, uh, which is like, you have five, you have, let's say 50 people in a room. They all have the same degrees, the same qualification, the same work experience. What makes you different from those people? Like, like, like when I ask people like to find, find who you like, what makes you different from those people when you all have the same qualifications and experience and, 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 and degrees and stuff like that. So it seems like it, part of what you're talking about is trying to get people to think beyond those qualifications, think beyond the things that we see on the resume to really figure out, you know, so that uniqueness that that sometimes we don't take the time to really fully understand. Yeah, I mean, many corporate cultures and many organizational cultures, honestly, sometimes work to the average and understanding the average. And it's a little bit like those old black and white TVs. It's a series of grays and whites and blacks. And what we're talking about is really adding in the color the color television with all of its different hues and saturations and bring forth you as an individual, you as a leader, because people will follow people 
who have unique talents and they see something that sparkles. Management is about authority, right? It's the exercise of authority. Very important, but you know, it is doing just the same game. Leadership is something remarkable, which is deciding which game we even play. But it is that little sparkle, that spice, that magic of something special. So knowing who you are, and more importantly, who you are now at this juncture, adds that little 2% that makes you something remarkable. And so is it maybe that sometimes we don't take enough time to learn about ourselves as we change and as we go, like you say, who you are in your 20s and your 30s and your 40s and 50s is going to be different people? Or is it just because we're afraid to, to go that direction? I'd rather be average than fully know what I'm capable of doing. That's a great question. I think there are many pressures for us to conform conform to the standards set by our friends, conform to the standards set by our organizations, conform to the standards set by our culture and cultures. And I think having that sense of awareness is about breaking some of those kind of constraints and defining things for yourself. There is a fear in being more individualistic or a fear of, of, of really charting out who I am today because there is gonna be people who are uncomfortable with the fact that you're identifying your passions. They will, they will challenge you, they will, and part of it is their fear, and so they will try and pull you down. If you are trying to be something different, they will pull you down and find critical, or be a critic against what you're trying to achieve. And the other thing to understand is this, this is a process. When you go through that journey, and it kind of is an internal journey, but it is a defining who you are as an individual, as a professional now, it's a journey. You will have false starts. You will make mistakes. You will make, have failures. And people will criticize your failures. But ultimately, you're learning through that journey. And one of the things I like to talk about when I think about resilience, because I think when you find your 2%, it is about finding your resilience, particularly in this time of COVID when we've had so many changes, unprecedented changes, is you never bounce back to the same point. You bounce to somewhere new. And just like a ball, you bounce somewhere new. The key here is what have you learned in the journey? What have you learned about yourself? What have you learned about your friends, your family, the society you're in? That is the learning cycle of a great leader, I think. And understanding resilience means it's always going to be a new place, <laughs> not the same place. I think the desire to control, and I think part of that is control is a, a control is that sense of security. People who are highly driven by security often don't have the aperture to actually do that kind of work to actually explore who they are as a leader. Wow. So another question that is understanding what's driving you, because when I hear you listen, speak right now, it seems to me that for you to be able to really fully maximize that potential, you have to be a great leader. Because like you say, people are going to challenge you. You know, there's going to be resistance. So you need to lead yourself. So what is how, would you, how do you define leadership? Because I think a lot of people talk about leadership and sometimes it might be hard to, to understand when everybody's talking about it. But for you, what is leadership and what makes somebody a great leader? I think the first 
misnomer with leadership is we tend to think of its association with authority and power. You can be a leader in your family. You can be a leader amongst your friends or in the community. There are incredible leaders who've done incredible things in their community, in their family, trying to be a role model in their family. So that can be a demonstration of incredible leadership. You know, there's often, there's a, there's a Chinese proverb that greatness starts in the home. And the idea is we often always see the people on the pedestal, but often they were built by leaders in their own community. So leadership is not necessarily authority and it's not necessarily a position of leadership. We often associate it with a, a political leader, let's say, but I think it's important to recognize leaders are amongst all of us. The second real piece I think about leadership is that to me, in my mind, leadership is about what you give, what you give to others in terms of like, how do you mobilize and excite people to the summits of their talents? Because that to me is what you give. You give recognition, you give reward, you give a claim to others. I think leaders or poor leaders, and there's good and bad leaders, Mm -hmm. We've seen a lot of those on the international stage, et cetera, are those that take recognition, take other people's work and claim it as their own. That's one of the most terrible leadership traits. So I think it is about giving. Mm -hmm. It's about mm -hmm. inspiring people, but it also is about giving, giving recognition, giving other people their chance, giving and inspiring them to the summit of their talent. Almost like serving leadership in a way, because you're actually in a way serving people as opposed to people serving you. Absolutely. Right? Serving leadership is key to that. I think the other thing to understand about leadership, we dig a little bit deeper, mm -hmm. is I don't believe there's a leader for all seasons. Hmm. The idea that there is the perfect leader, I'm not sure that's actually true. Many of the organizations I've worked with is you have to understand where, what do people need right now? Do people lead? I mean, we've seen this, we've been through a global pandemic. What kind of leader do you need in a crisis is not the kind of leader you need as you try and stabilize a situation where people want calm. It's not the kind of leader who's a builder. There are people who are sustainers. And I think, you know, if you look at leaders, there are people who are truly innovators people who are looking over the hill, building something new, something mm -hmm. different. They exist, and actually there are very few of them. It's probably about 5% of leaders are in that box. There are people who are strategists, who can take ideas and turn them into frames and how we actually move and make big change. There are mm -hmm. leaders who are implementers, builders of organizations, builders of things, and there are leaders that are sustainers of things. Mm -hmm. They keep things rolling. The challenge being I often find is that in the attempt to have a leader that fits all of that, you end up with a leader that is the average of any of that. Mm -hmm. And if you need, sometimes you need disruption. It's absolutely true. Sometimes you need that innovator or that, that big change agent. Sometimes it, you need that sense of calm and order. So there mm -hmm. is that tension, I think, between thinking about what kind of leader are you? And a part of that is identifying what kind of leader you are. Hmm. Are you more towards the order or to the chaos? Large mm -hmm. organizations tend to drift over time as they grow bigger to being to emphasizing order and stability. Mm -hmm. And if you look at with startups, they tend to look work more on that improvisation 
like a more chaotic space. Because I think even some of the research that I've, I've gone through is that organizations really struggle with that, struggle with how do we, because listening to you speak, it, it, it was very clear that, you know, there's that leader in everybody, right? So any kind of situation or somebody is, 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 is very calm, like in, in, in moments of chaos, they can sort of make everybody feel calm and at peace. You know, some people are movers, some people are implementers, some people are more visual. So there's always elements of leadership in everybody. And the challenge is, how do we figure out that and maximize that in everybody for the benefit of the group or the community or the organization, right? And so it brings me to my next question then, which is, it seems that, you know, as you say, uh, that successful people have a habit of inspiring excellence in others. I would say successful leaders have the habit of inspiring excellence in others. What does that look like in real life for somebody who's listening and say, okay, this is great. Give me an example of what that may look like in real life. Hmm. I think it's, how does that translate to real, real life is understand that people need different things from you. Mm -hmm. If you're working in an organization as a leader, they need different types of leaders from you. What do they need in order to be excellent in their role, excellent in their work today? What kind of leader they want you to be? I'm being flexible within that. And so I think it's about listening and being empathetic to what their environment and understand that you need to reflect on what they need to be exceptional. We all know there are different profiles. There are different people that works. That's what makes humanity so incredibly diverse and so flourishing with talent is there are different kinds of people. There are people who like order. There are people who like stability. There are people who like certainty. And for other people, that can be totally constraining. So it is about unleashing the talent of others. And so part of that is recognizing what is the talent of someone else? And how can I amplify those talents and bring everyone together? Because the worst thing you can have is an organization where there's 10, 20 people around the table, but essentially they all think the same, they all act the same, they all behave the same, and as a result, you don't have 20 different voices, different ideas. You have one voice. Mm -hmm, and you basically mm -hmm. narrowed the potential of your organization down to one. Conformity is creative po poison. Wow. Wow. Interesting. I like how you, what you say about leadership and your perspective and how you're explaining it, because I think sometimes it's more explained as to me, 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 right? And I think hearing you speak, you're talking about give, give, give to others, right? It's almost like what John F. Kennedy, I think said that it's not what your country can do for you, it's what you can do for your country. So it's not so much what your team can do for you if you're in an organization, but it's what you can do for your team. So what, what do my people need right now? And, and, and how best, which is really interesting because it seems that sometimes when organizations go through a crisis, the first instinct is not usually what can I do for others? It's always how do I protect me and my organization? Yes, and I think often when you see organizations in crisis, yeah. that default to defensiveness. Mm. And when you have that default to defensiveness, basically what you use, you close down options. What you'll see very often is there's a, a, a cadre of a small group that closes ranks and, and, and plows through. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And often they become immune to feedback. 
and immune to different approaches. And they actually become very closed to different approaches. Even if they were the founders, the creative geniuses, they mm -hmm. actually become very closed to new ideas and innovative ideas that actually can solve them. So I think when you look at great organizations, I mean, truly great organizations and leaders make great organizations, they are porous to ideas and they remain porous to ideas, unexpected ideas. Organizations that clam shut, they can bulldoze forward for a time, but ultimately they might just run out of runway and they might actually end up going completely off the rails. <laughs> I like your, uh, your company name, by the way, Elevate Your Greatness. And I wanna go back to that because you say Elevate Your Greatness is about reaching higher ground. Right, and you talked a little bit about the two percent finding that, but I just want you to, to share more about uh, about that, what that means, uh, and, and and how somebody can conceptualize that when they hear that. I think it's 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 really, and it goes back to some of that pieces of, of our, I was talking about earlier, which is we often think about what we have in common with people. My question to you, to everybody in your audience is, what do you have which is uncommon? around amongst people. And that skill, that talent can be so much broader than qualifications and certifications. There are people who are truly passionate social workers who are empathetic and, and wanna make changes in people's lives. There are teachers who want to transform their students' lives. There are business people who want to transform and create something wonderful and put it into the, into the marketplace. So the, the real question is here is really what is it that drives you? And often that is, is simply that, you know, because most people will fall and they can tell you what skills they have, right? And by the way, great skills is craft. So it's important to understand you can build a craft, a real enriched skill. But what really inspires you is what drives you what personally drives you, and ultimately understanding the unique value you bring to others. Hmm. And it doesn't matter what field you're in, but the unique value you bring to others. And if you understand those, not only does it inspire you, but it actually electrifies the people you come in contact with. <laughs> Imagine being at a party, and you, you, the question always comes up, what do you do? Yeah, it's... The standard question, right? And in that 30 seconds, you're making a decision whether you're gonna just like, you know, continue the conversation or you're gonna be bored by the conversation. But if that person clearly understands what drives them and what value, the unique value, it doesn't matter what they do. They could be an engineer or a lawyer, they could be an environmentalist, they could be anything. But if they know what drives them, like the engine, the fuel that drives that passion, and they know the value they give to others, then you are electrified by their passion. And by the way, it inspires you to unleash yours. So it's really about hearing you say this, and that this is getting really me excited, to be honest, because it's, it's really seems to me it's about going deeper. You know, like you just gave the example of being at a party, right? Everybody says, what do you do, right? And the immediate thing that I say, oh, I'm an accountant, you know, I'm an engineer, you know, we talk about our job titles and, and, and stuff like that. But like, you know, if you walk, walk up to somebody at a networking event, you know, and you say, hey, what drives you? 
their first reaction is going to be like, what? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Yeah, it's actually those type of questions that we need to, to dig deeper. So when I hear you speak, I think it's, it almost seems to me that it's about, you know, that finding that, like you say, you know, elevating your greatness is about uh, reaching higher ground. If you're going to go higher, you need to go deeper, first of all, right? And, and it truly is that. I mean, one of the exercises I love to do with clients and individuals and teams is literally ask them, and I give them a blank piece of paper or a, pay, a, picture, a, a picture of a, a park bench. Hmm. And I ask them humble question, which is draw a picture, and it could be a stick figure, of the person you most admire from history or is alive today, famous person, whoever it may be, or it could be someone you know the person you most admire that you would love to have a conversation with on a park bench. And it's amazing who, who comes to play. I mean, you, there are novelists, there are scientists, um, there are famous people. And what they do is it's not about who you pick. Who you've chosen is a reflection of who you want to be. Hmm. It is the values you want to be. So an, a, a common individual a lot of people pick is Nelson Mandela freed his country from apartheid and they when you say why did you want to speak with Nelson Mandela they'll say his incredible resilience on Robbins Island his willingness to forgive his compassion his stamina all of those things and what you realize is you've just articulated the values the inspirational values that you would like to hold and it doesn't mean you become Nelson Mandela, but you've identified this is what I would love to be as a unique leader. And there is a real power to actually understanding, reading about your heroes and how you can emulate their greatness in your own life. Would you say that's probably one of the biggest secrets to success that just identify, it could be individuals or values that you admire and once you identify those values, figure out how you can live up to that. Would that be one of your, would you say that's one of the key secrets to success? I think it's a key success, not as in, in, in own just financial success or professional success, but it's a, it's a key aspect of success in finding satisfaction and peace with who you are. Hmm. Because it's those values that you aspire to be. <laughs> and it does and the greatness about that is that you don't actually have it's it's wonderful to have great mentors it is wonderful to have to have great people in your life but you know what if you open the aperture look and find heroes and remember every hero has warts no one is perfect <laughs> but there are things that you would like to emulate and put in your own life from their experience and i think that's the power of of inspiration and motivation find the aspects the values the beliefs that you would want to install and emulate in your own life wonderful you've been writing uh and i, I because i follow you on linkedin you write about innovation you speak about innovation and we were just talking about innovation what is innovation because to some people it might sound like a big word like when i hear innovation people are like oh that's that's big. I, I start seeing computers and, and machines in my mind. So what is innovation? And why is it important to organizations, to individuals as well, as, and, and to business, especially right now? What's the power of innovation in, in, in that? 
Mm-hmm. I th- it's a great question. I, I think when, let's think about what innovation is not. I think it's often confused with technology, digital technology, what we're using today. There is no doubt that is innovation and has changed our lives. But innovation can be humble or huge. Humble or huge. Mm-hmm. I saw an example, just to give you an example of this, there was a man with a neurological condition and he couldn't dress himself. And so he, he, they designed a shirt with magnets on the buttons. And for the first time, this young man could actually dress himself in a shirt. That is an immense innovation in that life of that individual. And that really speaks to what innovation is and what I believe it is. It is about ideas, having creative ideas, but ideas aren't enough. You have to turn those ideas into something of action. You have to make something, do something, create something mm-hmm. but most importantly it has to be a creation and it could be an experience it can be a product it can be a service it has to be something of value and not value to you but value to someone else mm-hmm. does the customer actually see a or the person see a value in what you've created wow do they see a value do they actually want it is it desirable would they actually pay for it? Is there like an exchange of value to, to obtain that? And does it solve a problem in their life or in their business? That is the chain in which innovation, and yes, it can be phones and technology, but it also could be something truly some humble and something simple. Would you say then, and this is just me thinking, that maybe one of the biggest uh, uh, threats to innovation in organizations is because we just don't know what it is for many people? I, I think there's a danger. Mm-hmm. In, and I, I've done these exercises. We ask people, think about innovations in a company. And they, they immediately jump to jetpacks and uh, you know, AI and all these wonderful things, which are innovation and will radically change our lives, right? Mm-hmm. But there's also the thing that there can be small incremental changes, small incremental innovations, which aren't those big disruptive technologies mm. that actually can accumulate and actually make huge impact in people's lives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. we tend to always jump towards the, the, the disruptive technologies because that's the flashy stuff. But there's actually something much more um, kind of more, you know, incremental. Yeah, 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 yeah. Build that actually will make a difference in your company. It's taking those small steps, as you say, like it's just it's wherever you are, you know, no matter how humble your beginnings are, you know, you can be innovative where you are if you can figure out what's the value of what you do to others and really create that value. Because I find maybe that's what we really don't do sometimes, just taking the time to figure out what is the true value of what I'm giving and what I'm offering to people, to the marketplace. I mean, when you think about entrepreneurship, when you think about leaders, in an organization, what's the value of what I'm offering to my team? And that when we take time to figure out that, that we can actually spark innovation. But there are also examples of real failures mm. of innovation, even from some of the most dynamic companies, mm. because they produce wonderful things, gadgets, technologies, but people didn't really see the need for it or see the need of value in it. And you can look at all the great companies, big technology companies, they've all had flops. 
or, or great innovations, what they thought would be captured that didn't take off. And you can think yeah. of dozens of them. A couple of years, you know, many years ago, think of the Google glasses that were going to mm -hmm. transform our lives. Where are they mm -hmm. today? Nowhere. Because people didn't see the value or really want them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Desirability, not just is it feasible, um, is it, but is the desirable? Do people want this? And do I see the value? That's critical when you think about putting something into the marketplace. And it doesn't have to be a product. It could be an experience, designing a better way of serving people, designing mm -hmm. a better way of delivering that service. Mm -hmm. And if we've seen some great examples of that during COVID, we've seen, I mean, we, we're all wearing masks now, but personal protective equipment. We saw, I know there's examples of breweries turn it, turning out sanitizer. There were simple examples of people painting lines and circles to distance people. Those mm -hmm. were humble innovations which are adding value to people's lives. We've seen mm -hmm. technologies that have helped us stay at home, deliver foods, and all sorts of those mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. There's also some humble stuff that has enabled us to stay together and connected. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you just talk about COVID right now. And, and my next question was going to be talking about what does innovation look like in the era of COVID? Because it seems like this is going to be with us for a while. So if you think about a small business owner, for example, who is who's struggling uh, or a young leader who is struggling at work, right? Young professional, how should they think about innovation at an individual level or even at an organizational level or a business level in this era of COVID-19? Mm -hmm. I think for a small business, and I've worked with many small businesses, and this is something they're embracing. Innovation can also be how, not just what you do, but how you do it. Okay. And so many businesses are actually moving to, they used to be B2B, let's say a food producer, they would sell that product to the supermarkets. Now they're seeing examples of how they can go straight to the customer capitalize on existing technologies and platforms to go straight from them to the customer and gain that greater customer intimacy and build their brand. So there is opportunities around channels, definitely innovation and the service packages. Again, what makes you unique? Because here's the tension, right? I think, yes, there's a tension between local and the people wanting to support local businesses mm -hmm. and make them thrive and the convenience that the major organizations and major companies can offer. Mm -hmm. So if you can replicate some of that in terms of your distribution or just reaching out to people, people will support you. And a part of the recovery, I think, will, will be key in terms of, of small business, thinking about how it does things differently in the future. Wonderful. I had an opportunity to look at your website and um, I like one of the statements I, I saw where you talk about that the potential for greatness exists in everyone. And I want to go back there a little bit yeah. because I think right now, given what we're going through, I think it's, it's, it, I feel it's a time where I think that greatness and everybody needs to come out, you know, to help with, 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 with all the different challenges that humanity is going, going through right now. Why is it hard sometimes, I think, for us to be able to leverage that greatness? And we talked briefly about this, but I just want to be more intentional about this right now. Why is it so hard for people to really, if that potential for greatness is in everyone, why is it hard sometimes to leverage that potential? And what can we do differently? If I'm sitting here right now, what can I do differently starting today to be able to fully maximize that potential for greatness that's in me or, or anybody who may be listening? Hmm. 
That's a great question. I think, and I've done this exercise myself over this period, is sit down, get a cup of coffee, sit down, spend some time, a moment of clarity, and actually write down very intentionally, what are you good at? <laughs> then think very clearly, what are your passions? What are, and then ultimately, what is it you want to do? And sometimes, and often when I work with the professionals, they've forgotten their dreams, or they think dreams are for when they were youthful and they've kind of lost their dreams. And that just gives you the positive. But then think about the, 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 the weight, the millstones that are holding you back. So very intentionally think about all of the obstacles you have. Some of those are deliberate. You may not be qualified. You may not be seen as credible in your field, et cetera, et cetera. Some of them are definitely perception barriers and some of them might be talent barriers. Mm. But talent barriers can actually be overcome with consistency. I mean, the great craftsman or craft in their field is the consistent application of a high standard. Hmm. Hmm. So if you have that, it's just a consistent application of a high standard. How can you celebrate that? How can you build that? So some of these barriers are perceptional, how you perceive yourself, how others perceive you. Some of them are those talent things in terms of those skills and building those skills. But I also think there's another kind of thing beyond the perception of yourself, which is myths. What are the myths you tell about yourself? And are those myths helping you or actually liberating you? <laughs> because often those myths are actually the reflection of other people's opinions or belief in you, positive or negative. They are imposing this, often their sense of limitation upon you. And being clear, what is, what is a belief I kind of have about myself that may not be true? Mm. Well, maybe it's true now, but it can be changed. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking in terms of that positive stream. What are my passions? What are my career goals and things? But it's understanding the baggage which holding you back mm. is actually what is maybe not allowing you to reach some of that, those kind of aspirational pieces. Interesting. That's that's really powerful. You, you, you for, for sharing for sharing that. I think that's really powerful because you talk about this idea of meets and which is where I think maybe your your focus is on resilience comes in because I think those meets that other people in society puts on us sometimes can be a barrier in the sense that you know society will beat the dream out of you <laughs> you'll beat the dream out of you so you need to be resilient if you're going to maximize that potential right and 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 that's where you know it's almost like innovation and greatness that the centerpiece of that is resilience as well, because there's going to be tough moments. There's going to be meets to overcome. There's going to be other people's perceptions and your own perceptions to overcome. So if you're not resilient enough to challenge it and stand in the fire, you might just not get there. And just add to that piece around resilience, I think there is the piece, and it's something I've been really interested in for a while now, is I'm really inspired by stories of reinvention. Hmm. And this time, particularly COVID, is an, is an opportunity to think deeply about reinventing yourself, who you are, and how you show up, what kind of leader you are. 
And I think if you look at examples, and what I'm inspired by is examples of people who had late career success. They'd spend their entire life doing this, and then they switched, and they, they flourished in a, new, in a new environment, a new mm-hmm. career. Because we often have a, those, one of those myths can be, we're too old or I'm past it. It's no longer, the, I've, I've no longer have those opportunities. <laughs> and I think that reinvention, if you look at people who've been, had later career success or changed careers entirely, that reinvention is a really powerful kind of way to inspire you to rethink who you are in this new world. Because <laughs> my humble belief about COVID is we are not going back to February um, 2020. Oh, yeah, for sure. The future will be a hybrid of what we did before yeah. and the current world, a hybrid. So mm-hmm. the question is, what kind of hybrid are you and the learnings you've developed over this period? How can you reinvent yourself? Knowing that's a gradual process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. a flash process, it's a gradual process. But mm-hmm. it is a, if it's a conscious process, you'll have a better chance of actually making it through. Wonderful. I love that idea of reinventing yourselves. Like you say, the COVID pandemic is a great opportunity for you to start telling a different story about you, a much more powerful, resilient story that could take you to the next level. And like truly, yeah, for sure, I think, you know, this idea that, oh, maybe you're too old or you're not, you're not talented enough. I think going back to what you were saying here that, you know, the, the talent barrier, you can deal with that through consistency. Right. And I think that's what people struggle with sometimes is just the, the consistency of, 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 of doing those small things, but things that lead to excellence over time. Because if, if the repetition and the improvement in the learning process of, 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 of consistency gets you closer by the day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, you know, discipline, the consistency is the leverage point you have. And it doesn't mean that you're going to, you, you know, there are obviously there are limitations. Right? Unless you're a certain aptitude, a certain athleticism, you're not going to be an NBA star. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Right? You got to stay in your lane. <laughs> but it is amazing how people reinvent themselves. And here's the other key piece, right? We only, and this is the danger we're looking at, you know, very famous people, is we only see the accolades, we only see the person on the pedestal receiving the gold medal. What we don't see is all the miserable times they were out in the rain running. That's what we, the, the, the public sees the end point, it doesn't see the process. And so the process of personal change is really understanding that it is a process of change. And what I mean by that is, if you really wanna think about change, it is your habits, your attitudes and your beliefs. Mm-hmm. Those and actually, you know, are they disempowering beliefs, disempowering habits? And if we can change those, you can be on the path to being something different, something better, something greater. I like what you just said about, you know, we all look at famous people, right? People are at a, at a pedestal, you know, that they have achieved the success. But in telling the story about these people, that sometimes when most most times more often than not we don't really hear the you know the behind the scenes the dark stuff you know when i say the dark stuff is like running in the rain 
you know, the exercising, you know, the hours and hours of, you know, staying up late and working on your craft. And we don't hear that. What we only see is, is the celebration of the victory and the success. And that's attractive. That looks in, exciting and interesting. And everybody gravitates towards that. But what, what they don't see is the work. How can we do a better, I mean, like, is there a need, it, it seems to me, of telling these stories better? Or rather, when you look at examples of successful people, not only looking at one side of the story, that there's another side of their story that you also need to study about how they go to where they are. And that if you actually focus on the story that we don't hear most of the time, that actually can push you to success closer because then you get to see the work ethic and the things they had to go through to get there, right? I think the, the doubt makes us human. And when you actually read biographies of uh, great people, it's those embers of doubt throughout their course of their careers that actually makes them human. Actually, we can empathize with them and brings us closer to them. It doesn't pull them off the pedestal. It just makes them more real as human beings. I mean, I was, I've just been read, uh, read um, Obama's, Barack Obama's The Promised Land. Mm -hmm. And what I found fascinating was in the first parts of that, was really his his origin story in terms of being a, um, a community activist and organizer in Chicago, but also realizing who he was as an individual and his almost like flowering of potential and mm -hmm. realizing that at certain points he had to change. He was actually, mm -hmm. he admits in the early in the book, he was a very boring speaker. Mm -hmm. And we, we think of him as, as an incredibly inspiring speaker. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it was that he actually admits it was kind of boring. He used big words, nobody understood him, and he was kind of tedious. But he did that kind of self-reflection and over a period changed and grew. And then really it's about his growing confidence in that book, in the first part of that book, about what the potential could be. And I found that to me a really inspiring uh, kind of message. I had uh I had him being interviewed by Matt Galloway of uh, CBC, I think uh, the current, uh, just when the book came out and he was promoting the book, I think a couple, I don't know if it was early this year or late last year, and he was talking about the fact that his success, I think more so his political success, came later in life, right? As opposed to early, early in life, like other, other politicians. And, and so going back to what you were saying that anybody can, it doesn't matter how old you are, you know, and, 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 and where you are in life, you know, that a lot of people, especially, you know, now some people are achieving their career success much later in life, in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s. And that, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to do, if it seems like it's not happening fast enough for you, that maybe there's that change process, that self-reflection process that you need to go through to maybe ask you, maybe, maybe I'm just too boring. I need to be a great, learn how to be a great speaker. <laughs> well, I mean, what I, I mean, what I, and I do a lot of work teaching people how to communicate, teaching people speaking, um, in part because I believe one of the aspects of leadership, great leaderships, is being a truly great communicator and being able to inspire people with words. Because often when times get really tough, it's all that people have to hold on to. Hmm. How you communicate and what you say. That brings me to my next question uh, about public speaking. 
because that's one of the things you do. And I love public speaking. I, I find it really uh, fun and, and fascinating and I enjoy it. Let's talk about this field of public speaking because if being a great leader requires you to be a great communicator, part of communication is public speaking, being able to give speeches and inspire people in dark moments and, and, and rally your troops to move forward and conquer and, and do the work that needs to be done. And I was, I read this, uh, this is, is a joke apparently that Jerry Seinfeld once uh, talked about when he said people at a funeral would rather be the ones in the coffin than give the eulogy. That just gives you just a mental picture of how much fear public speaking instills in, 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 in some people. First of all, I think my question is, why are people so terrified of, of, of public speaking? And if it is really such an essential element to great leadership, what can we do differently to be great speakers? That's a big question. Um, I think let's start with some humble pieces. Hmm. If you actually look, and it doesn't matter what the culture is globally around the world, all great leaders, and we're talking about the exceptional, the great leaders were all amazing communicators. They had the gift of the spoken word. And literally it's their voice and what they say that moves people, moves nations and creates immense change. So that's the power of this capability. Now, some people say, well, I'm not in that category. But, you know, there is no greater accolade than someone says, you know what, she is an exquisite communicator. It's almost like nothing else matters, you know. It mm -hmm. is the competency. If you can speak and communicate ideas effectively and inspire people to move and change, you have really something special as a leader. The challenge, I think, often is people feel constrained or they haven't been taught those skills. And it is a skill. I mean, if you look at Obama, let's go back to Barack Obama, now mm -hmm. recognized as a really incredible orator. He just didn't wake up and be Obama. That's the result of, you know, the 10,000 hours of yeah, yeah. every time he spoke. He's, I mean, even think of the great orators like Martin Luther King. We tend to think in our mind's eye, like on the, the final result, him standing in front of a quarter of a million people on the Washington Moor. Hmm. What we forget is that 20-year-old who probably spoke to in, in a church basement to five people. Hmm. That's where he began. Or talking in the back of a bus before a rally to 20 people. And realizing that it is a journey to being exceptional. It's mm -hmm. a journey. And what I, the first thing I often talk about when I, people communicating is don't walk out there and, and try and speak to 5,000 people. You'll be terrified. Yeah. If you really have a fear, speak to your family. Next time there's a holiday, to say, just stop and express your love for your family for five minutes. Right? Next time there's a wedding or, heaven forbid, there's a funeral, say a few words of thanks or prayer or love and expressions of those, those things. Take and seek those opportunities. At work, just say a few words. And gathering, and it literally is a gathering of those kind of exposure, gathering of your sense of your voice, 
gathering the sense of your confidence, you become slowly a better speaker. You know, don't rely on the script. I mean, one of the in interesting thing is people like to write every word and there's, that's powerful and it's very important. But understand that the spoken word is very different from the written word. Hmm. And so if you're trying to understand that, understand that how you communicate with the spoken word is wildly different from reading something out of the written word. Mm -hmm. The last thing is this, is really have a strategy about the last five minutes. So let's say you're a, it's, a, it's a business um, presentation or you have to speak at a community event or some other kind of forum, but there's going to be a crowd and an audience. Mm -hmm. I mean, the reality is most audiences you come across are not going to actually skewer you if you make a mistake, right? Mm -hmm. But have a strategy at the last five minutes before you speak. What do you do? Most people, they shuffle from their chair up to the podium or wherever they're going to speak from and begin. Hmm. Have a strategy about how you transition from being someone who's a listener or being, being someone who's about to speak and think about how, what kind of energy you want to bring into that. If you're off stage, literally have a routine of how you actually become the leader. One of the interesting mm -hmm. things I read once about Obama is that before every major speech, he was given five minutes alone. So if you think of you are a present, you have all the worries of the world. Everybody wants you. But in those five minutes, he has to transition from being the leader, the manager, the president, to becoming the president, the communicator. Mm -hmm. Having that ritual about what, is, what are you going to do in the last five minutes? And by the way, it's the same with a job interview. What is your strategy for the last five minutes before you walk in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it seems just a lot of that is preparation and readiness and just and having those almost like visualizations to some extent, just, just be by yourself and visualize what am I going to do the last five minutes or what am I going to do? You know, the first, the, the first five minutes is, is I'm getting ready to walk into uh, walk onto the stage and, and speak. So it's, it's, you got to practice and you got to do it. And over time, the fear goes away. Uh, so for somebody listening right now, who is giving a speech tomorrow or tonight, and they're terrified right now, what's the one thing that you give them? Would you tell them that, Get a strategy uh, or is there something else that you can give them to just calm the fear down just a little bit? Make it simple. Make it simple. Mm -hmm. Whatever you have to communicate, make it simple. Say a simple strategy and a simple structure I've often used with clients is I'm going to talk about three things. One, two, three. Go through mm -hmm. the three things. But most importantly, just to have the hit, have the impact, is have a call to action. What are you asking these decision makers for? Or their approval, et cetera, et cetera. Or the audience, what do you want them to do with this information? Keep it mm -hmm. simple, keep it clear, keep it brief, maybe three simple points, and have a clear call to action. Wonderful. What do you want people to do with this information? Because mm -hmm. else yeah. it's just information that washes away into the breeze yeah 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 wonderful i love that 
I really have enjoyed this 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 conversation a lot, and and I think you're really good at what you do. You know, your perspective of, on innovation, on resilience, and leadership. I think people should know more about you, uh, and 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 get in touch with you to talk to you, you know, especially organizations, young leaders who are looking to see how they can be better leaders at work. What are some of the services that you provide, and how can people find you online if they need help from you? Absolutely. So, my company, what we do is kind of I would say three buckets of work. Mm-hmm. We do uh, keynotes and, and talks. We do more in-depth workshops and facilitation, but we also do advisory services around mm-hmm. things like communication, innovation, resiliency, and change. So those in those three areas, what we often do is work with different co- organizations, private sector, non-for-profit, and uh, public organizations, governmental agencies, to really kind of unlock creativity, unlock innovation, and build greater resiliency in times of change. Mm-hmm. You can find us um, online, all the regular kind of social media ch- channels, and also our website is um, elevateyourgreatness.com. Wonderful. I was gonna finish, but I have one more question because I really enjoy this part of your bio. I'm gonna read it, read it again, like just briefly, where you talk about global in viewpoint, but local in impact. And I'm, I'm really through, you know, being an executive, you've been in a consultant, you've been a speaker in Africa, in the Middle East, in Europe and North America. I'm just curious, it, you're truly global because you, you've worked in all these different places. How has that shaped you into who you are today? Like, like just, you know, those experiences in Africa and the Middle East and Europe and North America, speaking, consulting, and specifically you talk to you about being a journalist and also working with, uh, as a spokesperson for, major humanitarian organization. That's some really deep, deep experience and great work you have done. I'm just curious how that has shaped the person you are today. I think the biggest impact it's had, and I've worked with some wonderful people across many continents, is if there's the greatest impact is actually optimism. You realize despite wild differences in culture and stuff, people fundamentally across the globe just want to have want tomorrow to be better than yesterday. And that power, that energy, really inspires me around the question of optimism. When you meet people, respective of what their environment is or background, their sense of wanting to make positive change inspires me and makes me have an optimistic that the world will be better. We've got many challenges. There's no doubt about that, big challenges. But that it does electrify that sense of optimism. You know what? There's many bad things in the world. There's no doubt about that. I'm not going to dismiss those. Mm -hmm, But it mm -hmm. does give you the sense that, you know what? If you listen to people, listen to their problems, but also listen to their ideas, there's also the potential for us to create fresh, innovative ways of actually moving forward. And that really, that sense of optimism, that kind of critical optimism is something I really take from all those experiences. Wonderful. Is there anything else you'd want to share with our audience before we finish? Anything that's burning right now? I, I just want to say, that again, I actually believe like we, we can all be innovators if we unleash that talent. Mm-hmm. Think mm-hmm. about your ideas. There's definitely there's barriers to all of them. But think about your ideas. But most importantly, what problem, what value can you deliver to others? Define who those people are and deliver that value. And you can see exceptional things happening. 
Thank you so much, Simon T. Uh, it's been great uh, uh, chatting with you and having this conversation and learning more about your work, about innovation and resilience. I truly, I truly appreciate the time you've taken to, to hang out with me and, and have this conversation. This is Tawanda. Uh, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Becoming a Willing Student podcast. And my guest today was Simon T. Thank you so much for tuning in and I will talk to you soon. And bye for now. <laughs>